You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode five of the Tactical Kitchen Show. And today we're going to talk about the carnivore diet and detoxing and a few weird things that happened to us in our more than 70 day carnivore experiment, which really, I guess we keep saying carnivore, it was more probably a zero carb because a few times we had some coconut oil and things like that. But you know, that's getting kind of technical. It does, but people do get technical. And I think that's a great point is we were more of just zero carb because some other things we we threw in there, but mostly... Mostly meat, a lot of meat. A lot of meat, a lot of great steaks. I've gotten pretty doggone good at cooking a steak (laughs) since I do that every single day now. But this week we did a few things a little bit different. One thing we did, which is a question we get all the time, do you guys eat organ meats? And this week we actually did. It was great. I actually found out that I kind of like liver. It's not so bad. Yeah, we had beef liver and... Someone said, aren't you worried about eating organ meats? And my response is just, well, when you source them from a good local grass-fed, pasture-raised farm like we did, I don't worry too much about it. Maybe if I was buying liver at the grocery store, I would be a little bit concerned knowing what I know about commercial feeding of animals. But Yeah, this was great. I knew it was a good product when I cut open that bag and both of our animals came running from other rooms and just sat at my feet and wanted some liver. Well, well, you took it to a whole nother level. So what did you do with that liver? Oh, (laughs) so I really don't like liver. I'll be real honest. I just don't, I don't like it, but I know that it's good for me. And I thought, well, Maybe if I just cut it up in some little chunks and swallow it like pills while it's raw, maybe I can eat it a little bit easier. And you know, it has a lot milder flavor when it's raw and you don't actually get it on your tongue. Well, well, I've been through, through survival school and I've, I've eaten snails and ants and snakes and pretty much anything you can get out in the wild, but I, I didn't want to eat the raw liver. You didn't? Well, I know. So I I cooked us some and we had liver. We even got our kiddo to try some liver, which was pretty awesome. And the animals were all over me every time I opened up the container of liver. It was good. And if you're thinking about it, you know, buy some liver and try it. I kind of liked it. Yeah, we had about a couple of ounces each uh, for three days in a row. So we worked through all of our liver and the rest of it went to our two granimals, <laughs> Luke the Golden Doodle and Glitter Kitty. You can see pictures of them getting their liver if you go check out our Instagram feed. at uh, You just look for the Tactical Kitchen and you can find that. Other thing we did, we started kicking up workouts a little bit because... For this whole beginning of the year, we haven't been real hard on our workouts. We've been active, but not killing it, if you will. 
So this last week, we decided to kind of crank it up to the killing it type of workouts. A little more killing it, kind of like sort of killing it. And yeah, I did start doing more two-a-day workouts. So I try to do a little more conditioning stuff in the morning and then heavier weights in the afternoon, more CrossFit style. And that's been really, really fun. It is fun. And that's one thing about working out is being a personal trainer, everybody always asks, what's the best workouts to do? The, the best workout to do are the ones that you like and are fun for you to do. And if you feel like doing a CrossFit workout or you're just a runner or you're into gymnastic bodies, anything, if that's what's fun for you, then stick to it and just realize your taste is going to change. You might do a certain workout for so many months and love it and then get tired of it. Just switch up what you do and you're always going to be in shape. Yeah, and you're going to have fun while you do it. So that's that's kind of what's been going on for our week. But now we'll get into our next thing that we wanted to share with you guys, and that is some weird nutritional information of the week. I love finding weird nutrition facts or just funny articles about nutrition. Oh, sorry. If you hear this weird noise that sounds like, it's our cat. She's running around. She makes this, she doesn't meow. She makes this weird noise where she just goes, it's super weird. And then she runs off. So you found a really good article about rice. <laughs> a really funny article about rice. This article says that there's arsenic in your rice. It goes over some information about how rice is grown, and it's grown in flooded water-flooded soil, and that soil usually contains a lot more arsenic for that reason. And arsenic ups your risk for things like cancers, and it also affects children, affecting their IQ and their neurodevelopment. But what's funny is that for years, they have recommended that you feed babies rice cereal for their very first food. And I was a mom that did this. I, I followed the rules, you know, and listened to my pediatrician, and I fed the rice cereal to all of my kids as their first solid. Now I read this and what they're saying is, oh, hey, our bad. We shouldn't have been telling you to do that because there's high levels of arsenic in rice. Consumer reports found that there's persistently high levels of arsenic in rice and rice products, but specifically infant rice cereal. And that's really wow. scary. But one thing they say in the article is, oh, but maybe you're not really ready to give up your rice. So maybe you could just find some rice that has less arsenic in it. I thought that was fantastic. That's great advice. Just eat the food that has arsenic in it, just not the food that has the most arsenic well, in it. Well, and then they go on to say, and I've known this for years, you should always rinse your rice before you cook it. That's a classic culinary technique. But guess what? I didn't know. I didn't know, first of all, that my rice, when I did eat rice in the past, was loaded with arsenic. And I also didn't know that rinsing it could reduce it by 30%. So then you only have 70% of the arsenic left <laughs> in your rice. And that's very exciting. <laughs> well, this is good information because people eat a lot of rice out there. They do. And the one thing that's interesting is that the brown rice seems to have more arsenic because it accumulates in that hull. And so white rice tends to have less, but they don't really give you an estimate of what that percentage is. The real thing that you want to take away from this article that I read is that the places in the U.S. that grow the most arsenic-loaded rice 
are Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. So just don't get your rice from those states, and you'll be just getting less arsenic. It's yeah, so when you go to the restaurant, make sure you ask for non-Texas, Arkansas rice. Just and Louisiana. Right. And Louisiana. So that's, that's my article of the week. Well, my fun article for the week is uh, about propaganda, because there's all kinds of propaganda. Everybody knows that you're marketed to every single day of the week about food and how it operates in your body. Well, sometimes there's weird things historically that we want to figure out why is it like that. And I found a great article on the Smithsonian Mag that talked about carrots. And we've always always heard the myth. I know as a kid, you thought, I'm going to eat more carrots so I can see at night. It'd be so cool if I can see at night. Well, where did that come from? Well, it turns out early on in World War II, the British had come up with a new type of radar that they were putting in their aircraft. And since most of the attacks from the German uh, occurred at night, they were using that radar to shoot down the German uh, bombers. Well, they didn't want the Germans to know that they had some new type of radar, so they used this propaganda campaign where they were saying that their pilots were eating a lot of carrots and then they could see at night. I'm going to just die because my parents told me to do that. (laughs) Well, we've always heard that, so it's cool to know that it came from people just using propaganda. They're trying to throw the Germans off. Now, they don't know if it worked or not, but also another part of that was the British had a surplus of carrots. So they started telling their own people that, if you eat a lot of carrots, you'll be able to see better at night. So when the air raids happen and you're running to the bomb shelter, you should eat a lot of carrots. Oh, that's amazing. So, you know, is that where like Bugs Bunny and stuff comes from? Because he always ate carrots. Well, there was a carrot character that the British came up with, with uh, Dr. Carrot. Dr. Carrot. So then we had Bugs Bunny with What's Up, Doc? Hey, so that's a correlation there. There is a correlation there. Around the same time that Popeye was eating all the spinach, too. You know, so you can kind of see propaganda, eat your fruits and vegetables. It's interesting because... Marketing, propaganda, it all goes together. Yeah, and there probably wasn't a great supply of meat at the time because war, there was a lot of rationing. A lot of rationing going on, so there was not a a huge supply of meat, and apparently there were a lot of vegetables to eat. Oh, yeah, well... A lot of carrots. So, propaganda carrots, that can be our hashtag for this episode. Hashtag propaganda carrots. <laughs> the cat keeps throwing me off because she's running around going. Rah. I know it's funny. Okay, so those are the two fun things we found for this week. So let's go on to uh, talk about our diet. Yeah, to recap, if this is your first time listening, you can go back to our previous episodes. There's only four previous episodes right now, <laughs> so you should be able to knock those out real quick. Um, but you'll find out that we've been keto for about three years. We were paleo before that. Um, we've kind of progressed, not with any intent to progress to ketogenic and then to zero carb, but we've just been really looking at what works for us. We've done this out of a lot of self greed. (laughs) We want to know what works for us. Well, we want to be better and to get better, you have to try different things. So we decided uh, a few months ago to try the carnivore diet because we'd heard a lot about it, done some research, and there were some benefits that we wanted to see if we could get out of it. When you still have things like inflammation or you're still dealing with a little bit of digestive issues or dysbiosis in your gut, then you're, you just want to know what's causing that. And one of the best ways to do that, we've found, is a process of elimination. And what better way than to eliminate pretty much everything you're eating except for, you know, one or two foods. It's been interesting, but weird things have happened. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We've been doing this. For over 70 days now, almost 80 days, and we've had weird stuff. 
One of the weird things recently that has happened is a little bit of intestinal inflammation or tightness, if you will. That would be kind of like if you feel a cramp in your lower abdomen, your mid-abdomen where your intestines are. Yours was tight, and I had that same thing. I didn't really have too many cramps, but I had just an overall feeling of tightness in my intestines. It wasn't painful. It was just uncomfortable. And that was accompanied by diarrhea. It was. And it happened to me. We've been on the diet for at least about two months. Uh-huh. And I decided to cut out all dairy because I was having some inflammation in my knee. And we thought maybe that could be it. So we went ahead and decided to cut out dairy. And it did fix my knee. My knee got better within a couple of days. And then I got the tightness in my intestines. Yeah, and it was something like um, a week or two weeks that you had that. Mm-hmm. And it was about that same time frame for me. And mine happened a little bit earlier on. I was having raw unpasteurized milk at the time, and I was still eating cheese. And once I took those things out, that cleared up. While we were doing this, we've taken out all plant material. We've taken out, you know, everything now, including dairy. And we, we were down to just meat, eggs, and some fish. And I, we have used coconut oil a couple of, a few times in our fat coffee, but we've really pared it down to where we can identify foods that are bothering us very quickly. Either remove them for a time and then add it back in, see if it works. That's been gold for me because it's hard to figure out what's causing your stomach to hurt or pains in your joints. Well, to figure out what was making my knee hurt, because this had been going on since November, so it had been three or four months now that I couldn't figure out why my knee hurt all the time. Uh, I lost range of motion. It was very stiff. I couldn't work out very well. couldn't run at all. So being able to figure out that it was just dairy was great for me. I mean, that is awesome. And you've been able to run. You've been able to go work out with all your students and it's been just great. kill it. I like running. I'm one of those people that I like running. I don't run marathons anymore, but I like to get out and run and ramp it up. Because it's fun. It makes my body feel very good. I always I always hate the start of a run, <laughs> just getting out there. But once I start running, I always feel like I get more creative during that time. Just your head gets so clear and your thoughts. It's wonderful. I love exercise for that reason. So when you have something that's causing joint pain or inflammation that makes you feel like you can't do it, it's kind of discouraging. And finding out what was causing that knee inflammation has been really great. One thing that I think people would want to know about that is, would we feel safe to continue eating carnivore if that happened? I think so, because it passed. It was never painful. It didn't keep me from doing anything, but it was kind of, like we said, it was just weird and a little, I don't have a good explanation for it, but I don't think it was dangerous or it would cause any other negative problems. Here are my thoughts on it. I think it was detoxing our body a little bit more because every time we have changed our diet a little bit more to the extreme where we've removed some inflammatory foods, I feel that I've just detoxed a little bit more and it does pass, like you said. You feel better instead of worse. Your energy ramps up and it doesn't doesn't seem to affect us long term. I've heard that a lot where people say that meat diet is a detox diet, and I I believe that now. 
And speaking of detoxing, when you detox, there's other things that happen outwardly in your body. And both of us had another thing. This is a weird thing, number two, that happened to us. Both of us had a rash. You worse than I did, but we both experienced kind of the same thing. Yeah, and I did this when we went keto. I had what I later found out was the keto rash, which some people say is a real thing and some people say it's not. But I experienced it and it feels like eczema. It itches like eczema. I'm not sure that it is or is not eczema or eczema, however you like to pronounce it. But another thing that happened when I went keto, I had on my arms, if I got out in the sun, they would just burn. They felt like a sunburn. That went away after about a month. And then when we've gone carnivore now, I had that happen early on when we cut all the plants out and my legs became very itchy, very bumpy, and just miserable. I'd wake up scratching at night. It was really starting to affect my sleep. And I did talk to a couple of people online who were having similar experiences. I broke down once and took a Zyrtec because I just couldn't deal with the itching anymore. And so if you are having that experience, I understand. I've been there. Lots of other people have been there. That is a process of detoxing. Skin rashes usually show up when your immune system is overwhelmed a little bit and it just presents itself in your skin. Because your skin is just, it's another organ. It is. It's your largest organ and it is a way that we detox. It's one of our major detox pathways. I had the same thing, but it was on my abdomen. It was not as bad. It didn't itch all the time, but when I you know, would rub my hand across my stomach in my abdomen, I could feel the bumps. They were a little scaly like the ones on my legs. At first, I was not sure what it was. I I noticed it was in a pattern, and then eventually it just went away. Yeah, so mine lasted for this time a good month, and it just now really, like in the last week, it has cleared completely up. I don't itch anymore. My legs don't have this, like the little bumps on them anymore, so it's great. So I I would say yes, push through possibly if you're having something like that because it does eventually go away. So be aware of that. It's just a reaction to you changing your diet. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. So let's let's talk about a few things that you can do as you're detoxing on any diet, like a keto diet, zero carb, or carnivore. If you're having some detoxification that's going on in your body, there are a few things you can do to help alleviate symptoms to help you with the progression of that. A great thing to do if you're if you're trying to detox is fasting. Fasting is a great thing. We do a lot of like intermittent fasting. We intermittent fast almost every day, maybe on the weekends every once in a while we won't do it. But for the most of the week, we found that intermittent fasting, which is usually 16 to 18 hours of not eating, so Basically, you, you eat dinner and you don't eat breakfast and go straight straight into lunch. We find that to be work for us very well. It makes my workouts feel cleaner, more energetic, and easier to conduct them. Yeah, that's one thing. Like I can't work out on a, a full stomach. I need to have an empty stomach if I'm going to do any type of conditioning work, like running or sprinting or biking, anything like that. I need an empty stomach. So fasting works great for me. Let's talk about what fasting actually does to the body. Well, fasting gives your body the ability to relax and take care of processes that it, it can't take care of when you're eating because your body has to digest all that food. But when it's not having to digest food, it can go heal things. 
That's so true. That's why a lot of healing takes place while we're asleep. And also you hear people talk about doing fasted cardio all the time. So if you're fasting and you do cardio, now you're sweating. That's another version of your body detoxing. Yeah, it's a detox pathway. That skin, like we said a second ago, I've found that sweating every day is something that has really helped my skin health and my overall health. And however you choose to sweat, you know, that's your that's your thing. You could do infrared sauna and get a good sweat. And that's really good for people say it's good for your mitochondria. There's some probably some studies out there and some research you could look up. Then also one thing that I've done for a long time is dry skin brush. That's always fun to watch when you take the boot brush and rub it all over your body. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I'm sure it is. But dry skin brushing was something that I discovered like way back in the late 90s. And I started doing that. I'll, I fall off the wagon every now and again. But when I think about it, <laughs> I always try to make sure I do that before I shower. And that's just basically t- taking a oh, keto train. There's the train. It always happens right when we're recording. It does. We so, record this in our kitchen, so we're not in a sound studio. We don't have some elaborate recording system. This is just us at our kitchen table with a microphone. With our cat going. <laughs> so the dry skin brushing, since he's done honking his horn, I just take the brush. It's natural bristle brush, and you just brush your arms and legs and torso up towards your heart from you know the end of your fingers towards your heart. And you can find a lot of information online about how to do that safely. And then what you want to do is usually shower afterwards because you've stimulated your lymphatic system. I don't dry brush, but I do take hot, cold showers. And if you do them all the time, you can really get to where you can do an extreme hot and an extreme cold. And what that does is it stimulates your lymphatic system. Yeah, by contracting and then releasing those uh, lymphatic vessels. They don't have a pump like your blood does, which is your heart. So you have to pump that lymphatic system yourself by moving around, hot, cold therapy, or dry skin brushing, or just moving your muscles, which is why exercise is one of the greatest things you can do. I love the hot, cold therapy. And granted, we don't, I can only do it in the shower. I don't have a jacuzzi and a cold tub, which a lot of people do. They'll get in the jacuzzi or a sauna and come out and get into a cold you know, cold water, which really stimulates that system. And man, it makes you feel really invigorated. And for guys, doing that type of therapy will increase your testosterone. That's really good. And they also say that it stimulates the brown fat in our body, which is more thermogenic. thermogenic say that again. Which is more thermogenic <laughs> than our regular good old white fat. So, you know, it's something to think about to do the hot, cold therapy. It's hard for me to do. I don't like to be cold very often, but I always feel great when I do it. I feel like I sleep better, that when I am awake, I'm more alert. But then when it's time to go to bed, I rest better. The last thing about detoxing is just talking about hydration. And mineral balance. Because I know someone who overhydrated once and washed all their minerals out of their body. I did. I read a book on water and I got excited. So I started getting up in the morning and drinking about 48 ounces of water right off the bat. And I basically flushed all my electrolytes and it caused me to have heart palpitations at night. Yeah. And that's a little scary feeling for someone when they don't know what's happening or why that's happening. They can be worried that they have a heart problem. And you did have a heart problem because you washed all your electrolytes out. And electrolytes, if you don't No, they're kind of like a spark plug. I've heard that analogy, so I use it. 
They are the spark plug of your body, which kind of ignite other things like your heart to pump and all these different things, muscle activity. So when you get a leg cramp at night while you're sleeping, you can probably just know that your electrolytes are off balance. I've gotten much better on balancing my electrolytes since I have my water fiasco. (laughs) It was pretty scary for you, I'm sure. Feeling your heart skip beats. It was weird. I would be sleep. I'd lay down to go to sleep, and it would beat about four or five beats, and then it would pause for. It felt like a second, and then it would go again. I know. I listened to it, and it was a little bit weird. It was. It was a little scary. So when you told me how much water you were drinking, yeah, I was we, like, "Yeah, I wish I would have known that because I would have been making sure you were taking your salt because that's uh, that's a little dangerous. You can actually really damage yourself by." getting um, too low on electrolytes or even having just an imbalance of certain electrolytes like potassium and sodium imbalance. Make sure that if you are hydrating, which you need to be doing, that you're also replacing those electrolytes with either some mineral dro- trace mineral drops. Make sure you're getting in your sodium, all those different things. Especially if you're working out, you're going to need to replace those because you lose a lot of electrolytes when you're working out. All right, so let's move on to our questions of the week. So all week we get questions from people that are in any of our groups asking us, you know, about sugar, water, all the stuff we talk about on the podcast. But we have a few specific ones that we'd like to go through today. The first one I received on Facebook Messenger, and it just said, how do I stop sugar cravings? Hmm. I know that's always a big question. When you first start, you're going to have some cravings. Sometimes it's just mental, too. Oh, if you're doing a, a cold turkey, cutting out sugar, going from a whatever diet you're eating, cutting out sugar and going straight to eating keto or carnivore, you're going to have those cravings. So the best way is to prepare for those. Yeah. And one thing we do is we always make sure that we have what we call fat snacks. Fat snacks are life-saving when it comes to sugar cravings. So plan on sugar cravings and plan on when you're having them going to your fat snack, whatever that is. Yeah, and one of them for us is really simple. We keep bags of pork rinds because a lot of times when you get a craving, it feels like it's very urgent and you need to eat right now. Having something like pork rinds and some butter on hand, I like pork rinds dipped into softened butter. That's flat delicious. There are a lot of recipes out there for fat bombs, so if you go find a cool fat bomb recipe and make up quite a bit of it and just keep it in the fridge... When you feel like you have a sugar craving coming on, just go eat a fat bomb. Right. And if you're carnivore, I guess just go eat some more ribeye fat. But if you're zero carb or keto, those fat bombs can come in handy. Or just, you know, maybe saving back a little bit of one of your meals and keeping it for a few bites when you do feel that sugar craving come on. Usually they happen about mid-afternoon for most people, I find. It's that sugar slump. And for... Women especially, and I say this because this was me, it's not that I was hungry when that would happen. It's that I mentally just and emotionally wanted a sweet. I had an attachment. Sweets were good and they made you feel good. And they do. They they did make me feel good for a few minutes when the sugar went up. But then when the sugar falls back down, you're left in that same cycle. And the problem with some 
treats is that you can just keep stimulating those sugar cravings. So if you transition to saving a little bit of one of your other meals and having some fat with some protein, that's going to cut your craving. But, you know, you can do the treats every now and again. Sure can. Another question we got that came from uh, came to our website is specifically about cancer. So would a carnivore zero-carb diet be useful to me? I'm at high risk for breast cancer. There's a lot of information out there about ketogenic diets and cancer. I know you've done a lot of reading about that. So what, what would you suggest to this person? Well, I have read up on it, and what I've determined is, and this is no, no mystery, cancer is a very, very complex disease, and no cancer is the same. So that's why there's no one cure. This is how we cure cancer. However, what they do know is that cancer thrives in a high-glucose environment. So a zero-carb diet would be great, and cancer cannot use ketones for energy. We know both of those things are facts. So with that said, what people are doing is whatever treatment they're engaging is, they're augmenting with a ketogenic diet because they found it to be very beneficial. That's awesome. So if somebody is at high risk for something like breast cancer and they do start incorporating a ketogenic diet or a zero-carb diet and they're making ketones, then they're really kind of protecting themselves against that cancer growth or development And she also asked about inflammation markers and how to keep those down. And I would say that in our experience, when we've had our blood work done, that the last time um, we had our CRP, our C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation in your body, um, mine was 0.8. And it had dropped from, I think, the time before, 1.6. So I'm actively dropping my inflammation level That marker, biomarker, it just keeps dropping. And that's why we've been keto and then zero carb and carnivore. So I would think that this would be super beneficial. I agree. A ketogenic diet will definitely reduce a lot of those issues. All right. Our last one came to me through our Instagram. And it was from someone from Portugal, which I thought was pretty cool. And they just said, I have a friend who is 27 and has epilepsy. How can I get him more information about keto? A lot of information out there on epilepsy. One place you can go and find tons of information about epilepsy and the ketogenic diet is the Charlie Foundation. The ketogenic diet was used exclusively for children who had resistance to medication. Right. And then this person also, because I went ahead and told them that on, on the message because I wanted them to have that information quickly. But they came back and said, isn't the Charlie Foundation just for children? And that's a big misconception, I think, that the Charlie Foundation, because it was founded by people who had a child with epilepsy, and that we look at, like you said, it's been used as a treatment for children with epilepsy. They think, oh, the Charlie Foundation website's not for me because I'm an adult. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. There's tons of resources, information about different aspects of the ketogenic diet, different ways to incorporate it, and also tons of delicious recipes. So I think that would be a fantastic resource for anyone who has a friend, loved one, or even an acquaintance that has to deal with epilepsy and they're looking for a good resource. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah, and if we have any other weird things that come up while we are eating our carnivore zero-carb diet, we'll be sure and let you guys know. 
or if you guys find weird things out there that you can't explain that happened to you, we'd like to know about those as well. Okay, well, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and now go forth and eat fat and prosper. Thanks for listening to The Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.